0: Please turn in your Bible to Ezra chapter 3. <clears throat> While you're turning, how many of you have ever known that you needed to do something but thought to yourself, man, where do I even begin? You ever been there in that situation? is says, I've got to get this done, but I don't even know where to start. Well, <clears throat> that's what's happening in today's passage. Is Ezra had returned, or the... The people had returned and they needed to know where to begin. And so this applies to us as well as we're building a a church, a congregation and God has been at work leading us here. Where do we begin? And I think the principles that we find here in Ezra apply directly to us as well. And so we're going to pick up. We will not be reading 70 verses today. But we will be reading seven verses today. Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, when the seventh month came, and the sons of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. <clears throat> then Jeshua, the son of and the bro- and his brother, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brothers arose and built the altar of God to israel or sorry to, of God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they set up the altar on its foundation, for they were terrified because of the people peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. They celebrated the Feast of Booths as it is written and offered the fixed number of burnt offerings daily according to the ordinance as each day required. <clears throat> and afterward, there was a continual burnt offering also for the new moons and for all the fixed festivals of the Lord that were consecrated and from everyone who offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began ...to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrenians... ...to bring cedar wood from Lebanon to the the sea at Joppa, according to the permission they had received from Cyrus, king of Persia. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and Father, I pray that we will learn the lessons of those who you call to build a place of worship. And Father, I pray that you'll guide us through. I ask you to speak to us individually. I thank you for those who come to visit with us this morning. They're an answer to prayer. And I pray for their spiritual journey. I pray and ask that you will speak to them today and that, Father, that they will hear your voice and walk with you in great joy because of the direction you've given. Thank you for this opportunity to love one another, to encourage each other in the love and good works, look into your word and to hear from you. We pray these things and look forward to engaging with you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this morning as we address the question, where do I begin? We learn kind of the formula. First they were unified, we see that. We understand that they worship. And then they got busy on the work. And so we see their unity from the beginning. <coughs> Excuse me. Now the people, were told in verse 1, that all the people had returned uh, to their cities and the seventh month rolls around. And then we see something amazing. They gather themselves together in Jerusalem as one man. <clears throat> the only way to gather is one man. Usually we don't argue with ourselves. Sometimes we do. But usually we don't argue with ourselves. I said, I've said, i often said it's okay to talk to yourself. As long as you don't answer yourself. But they were not arguing amongst themselves. They were there with one heart. United with one purpose. There's only one way that happens. And that happens because they were unified in Jesus Christ. It does, or they were unified in the moving of the Spirit. And so God was up to something here. The phrase one man describes their unity. They shared one heart, one mind, and they acted on it. See, the unity was evidence of the Holy Spirit's working to bring these people together for a purpose. Unity is important. Unity is not something to be taken for granted. Unity is not to be uh, an afterthought. It matters that we agree. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Uh, we are told that even in John 17, uh, in verse 23, Jesus prayed. This is him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before his betrayal, before he was hauled off to the cross, he prayed in verse 23, I in them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. And so, in his moment, in anguish, in the moments where he's praying, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not my will, let thy will be done. He prays for our unity, so the world will know that he sent us. And so unity is important, folks. If we're going to, Build. if we are going to move forward with what God has, we have to walk in unity and we have to fight disunity. Now, those of you who are here with a spouse or a friend or a brother or sister, how many of you agree on every point? Go ahead and raise your hand. We don't, right? Even with the person that's the closest to us. How many of you agree on the main points? There we go. There are core teachings and core values that we share, that we agree on. There's things that we can discuss. What does this mean? What does that mean? That don't divide us. The most famous one that I've used is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. When I first heard about the, the, that verse, I read it. <clears throat> and I thought he wept because of their unbelief. But then I saw the context and began to contemplate that and about their brother dying. <clears throat> and I think that maybe that's why he wept. Can we disagree on that? Yeah. Can we disagree on the fact that Jesus wept? No. Because it says he did. Does it matter if we disagree? No. But when we go to verses that say Jesus is God. And there's only one way. We have to agree on that. And so they were back here. They were all in foreign lands. But they came together with one heart and one mind as one man. And so unity was part of what God was doing. And you see that. When God begins to do a work, He begins to unite people's hearts. And we're watching that happen here and now. I'm seeing people's hearts and minds come together in an excitement level about moving forward. That's where we begin. It begins with the Lord moving in His people. But the next thing that happens is they worship. With one heart, they came together, and the first thing they built was an altar. And they offered burnt offerings from the law out of the law of Moses. So here they are, they come together with one heart, they're restoring the temple, but before they even built the building, they begin to worship. And I think that's important that God has first place, not a building. We often think of when we think of church, we think of these buildings, or these great edifices with spires um, shooting to the heavens. Or one's made of glass and all of this ornate stuff. I'll tell you this, the stuff that we have today don't even compare to Solomon's temple. If you go back and read it, we can't touch it. And yet we think it's really something. Let me tell you something. If you're more awe-inspired over the building than you are God, then you got your eyes on the wrong thing. Because we ought to be more in love with Jesus than we are in anything. He ought, to, he ought to excite us. His word ought to uh, rev us up from the inside out. And He's the one that we're supposed to be in awe of and reverence of. Not a building, not technology, not the latest fancy preacher. Thank the Lord for that. <clears throat> Him and His Word are enough. They're enough to excite us. They're enough to push us and move us on to the joys of what it means to walk with Him. And so they worshiped. They worshiped in spite of their fears. They didn't back down. They offered burnt offerings day and night. And so they, were, they had fear of the people. They were concerned. And they're offering these, burnt offerings, these flames are, are going, and I can imagine during the day that might have been a little easier to get away with. But at night, everybody will see a fire a long way off. But they did it day and night. You know, there's a time coming in America, and I've been watching it happen little by little. The di- You know, there's a... There's an old story about how to cook a frog alive. You know, if you take a frog and you boil water and you throw him in, he'll jump out. But if you put him in there when it's cold and you slowly turn it up, he'll boil alive. That's what's been happening, I think, to the church. Is little by little, we've been told to be quiet, that you're narrow minded, that you can't, that's offensive. For you to say that Jesus is the only way. And you know what? If that offends people. Let them be offended. Amen. Because that that's truth. Jesus is the only way. There's not many ways to heaven. There's one way. And his, his name is Jesus Christ. And he shed his blood for us. So that we can go to be with God. In one day. And so there's. The, the, but we're backing up. We're getting quiet. We're afraid. We don't want to be labeled freaks. Or the religious or the religious right or zealots. Because there's some. Who have walked away from God's word in that direction. There's some who have called out and told people that God hates soldiers. Which is, a, that's wrong. <laughs> that's not what the word of God teaches. And they, they have pl- replaced what God has said for what they say. Let me tell you something. This is what God has said. We accept it, whether we agree with it or not. We submit to it. We don't try to change it to make ourselves comfortable. And the the problem is, if we're comfortable with the world, we're going to be uncomfortable with this. And the problem ain't the book. The problem is us. And so there comes a time in America... Well, we're going to have to take a stand. And we're going to have to say enough is enough. When Jesus says there's, oh, there's one way, you should be thankful there's not no way. That's love. You should be thankful that he left the majesties of heaven, the expression of the fullness of his glory to come and be mistreated for you so you can go be with him. That's not narrow-mindedness. That's the love of God expressed through His people. And so don't back up. Don't shut up. Don't shut down. Don't roll up the window. Don't zip your lip. There comes a time when people are looking for genuine Christianity out there. People who are truly in love with Christ can't explain it any other way And my challenge to myself and to us is may we be those people. When they see us, they see a difference. Not judgmentalism. That's the church has carried that tag long enough. See, you remember when you were a kid and your parents wouldn't let you do what you wanted. And you said, yeah, they're mean. Anybody ever do that? I did. Because yeah. <laughs> they were mean. <laughs> but we label people who don't let us do what we want to do with labels that are unfair. It's not new, folks. <clears throat> it's just prevalent more today against us. Than anything else. Because the world. The darkness. We're told in John. That it hates the light. And if you. And Jesus said. You are the light. We don't shine the light of, the, uh, of God. He, we don't shine the light. Of, we are the light of the world. You can't. Isn't that interesting. That's, that's um, identity. There it is. Where's all my class members? Identity, right there. You are the light of the world. We don't just shine it. We don't go, it's not like a flashlight. where We go click, 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 almost. <laughs> click, click, turn it on and off. Ooh, this isn't really popular right now. So I'm going to turn it off. I don't want to be offensive. And we, Can you share Jesus offensively? Yes, sir. Yes. I can be rude in how I do it. Will Jesus, the sharing of Jesus in love, be offensive in itself? Yes. Here's why. Because the world hates the message. It will offend them, even when shared properly. That's why they rebel against us. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword among brother, uh, brother and sister, mother and father. What is that? When somebody chooses him, have you, have you ever met somebody who was afraid to choose Jesus because of their family? Right? They're recognizing that truth. And so this idea of worship, we're a living sacrifice. It's not what we give up. It's the life that he gave us. That's the sacrifice. Because we give that away. And so they worshiped in spite of their fears. They didn't back up. They didn't stop it because they knew God was with them. They celebrated the Feast of Booths. That's a pretty popular feast. How many of you have ever heard of the Feast of Booths? How many of you have heard of the Feast of the Passover? See, we've heard of some of them. Passover is kind of a, he's the popular kid. But this is an important feast. <clears throat> I'm going to read to you a little bit about what the Feast of Booths is. It was called, another word for it is the, is the Sukkot. It's commonly translated the Feast of Tabernacles have you heard of that? The Feast of Booth, the Feast of Tabernacles is, are the same feast. Also known as the Feast of the Ingathering and in some translations the Feast of Shelters. <clears throat> it's a biblical Jewish holiday celebrated on the 15th day of the 7th month, which is named Tish, Tishrai which varies from late September to late October. During the existence of the Jewish, or excuse me, of the Jerusalem Temple, it was one of the three pilgrimage festivals on which the Israelites were commanded to perform a pilgrimage to the temple. Now you remember, when Jesus was born, they were returning to the place of their birth to the land because of the Passover. So they were in a pilgrimage back to celebrate this feast. This was a feast like that. This was one of the big three, believe it or not that we hear nothing about. It was agricultural in nature and marked the end of the harvest time and thus the agricultural year in the land of Israel. The more elaborate religious significance from the book of Leviticus is that of commemorating the Exodus and the dependence of the people of Israel on the will of God. The holiday lasts seven days in Israel and it lasted eight in the Diaspora. You know what the Diaspora is? That's not what you put on an infection. <clears throat> the diaspora is when the Jews were carried away from their land, they were dispersed or uh, diaspora. And so that's what it was. It lasted eight days. They included one extra Sabbath day. There was a day of rest before and after from the feast itself. The Hebrew word sukkot is the plural of sukkah or booth or tabernacle, which is a walled structure covered with, uh, I don't even know how to do this one, Shika. It's a plant material such as overgrowth of palm leaves. A sukkah is the name of the temporary dwelling in which the farmers would live during harvesting, a fact connected to the agricultural significance of the holidays, stressed by the book of Exodus. As stated in Leviticus, it's also intended as a reminiscence of the type of fragile dwellings which the Israelites dwelled during their 40 years of travel in the desert after the exodus from slavery in Egypt. Throughout the holiday, meals are eaten inside of this building, and many people sleep there as well. So it's reminding them of the blessings of God and the thankfulness of, of being thankful So, isn't that interesting that that shows up here as they return, they were carried away for not letting the land sit still. Now it's right here as they return, that's what they begin with. So they have to return from that which they had neglected. We go on. On each day of the holiday, it's mandatory to perform a waving ceremony with the four species. This ceremony, which was mandated in Deuteronomy 31, 10 through 13, was held every seven years in the year following uh, the sabbatical year. (laughs) This ceremony was discontinued after the destruction of the temple, but it had been revived in Israel since 1952 on a smaller scale. So it's actually going on now. Now, why is that significant? In 1949, Israel returned as a nation. They reconstituted as a nation. Within within two years, three years, the festivals were returned. This festival was returned. So, how does this play in Christianity today? I'm glad you asked. This is celebrated by a number of Christian denominations that observe holidays from the Old Testament. These groups base this on the fact that Jesus celebrated it in the Gospel of John 7. The holiday holiday is celebrated according to its Hebrew calendar dates. The first mention of observing the holiday by Christian groups dates to the seventeenth century among a sect of the Sabotniks in Russia. In the Orthodox Church, the holiday is said to correspond to the New Covenant Feast of the Transfiguration. Here, we do not believe it's necessary for Christians to keep Jewish festivals. They were meant to establish a relationship between Israel and God. Today, that relationship is established by Jesus Christ. These things are completed. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which brings these about, which is the work that the festivals brought about back in the day. And so this was part of their worship. They reestablished the other, uh, they also reestablished the other fixed by time and date festivals of the Lord. Was it just this one? This was also done before the foundation of the Lord was even built. Before the foundation of the temple of the Lord was even built. They didn't even laid the foundations yet and they worshiped. That's why I love when you start a church that you're in a temporary location. We start worship first, then we build a building. When we started, we were in a cafeteria. We put up tables to mark off the space. And we set up chairs every week. We set up sound booth every week. And we had worship. We worshiped God first. And when the time was right, the building came. And so here, we follow the same pattern. See, their worship was not limited by a building, their worship was only limited by their heart. And the beauty was, their heart was true to the Lord. But they got about the work, they got busy in verse 7. They began to fulfill their purpose in returning. They hired skilled craftsmen to do the work that they couldn't do. They got labor. Listen, skilled cra- people say, "Well, you pay so much for uh, a plumber, or electrician, or a carpenter." Let me tell you something: it's always cheaper to do it right once than to do it wrong twice. You're going to pay one way or the other, folks. So when you pay skilled people. Some skilled people just know things by experience, don't they? You ever been around somebody and you're like, how did you even know that? I was talking to my friend because my truck's making a sound. And I said, well, I think it's this. Are you sure? He's like, no, it's probably this. And he said, and and he said, because that works with your two-wheel drive. And if you turn your four-wheel drive on, it'll probably go off. I turned it on and it went away experience matters. And so they called upon these guys and they paid them. They'll do a better job. They'll always do a better job than unskilled craftsmen. That's wisdom. Wisdom, knowledge, people that know, it's wisdom to use them. But King Cyrus had given them permission as well to bring cedar wood up from Lebanon. Lebanon. They gave them food and drink and oil to go get it done. So here we have labor and we have materials coming together to do the work that God called them to do. And so they took advantage of the opportunities laid before them. They had the money and now they're getting the labor and materials They're about to begin, begin the work. And so there came a time, there comes a time when talking and planning is done. See, there's, sometimes in ministry, we can talk and plan and talk and plan and try to get everything perfect. Sometimes you just got to act and go. Sometimes it's just time to do it. You know, we, and I understand the apprehension, so let me address that. There's this idea <clears throat> of Well, am I forging ahead on my own idea or God's? Because we don't want to go on our own ideas, right? But that can also cripple us from responding to God. Because we want to check and we want to have all these filters to make sure that it's God. Listen, I think that I Jesus said, My sheep know my voice. We know in our heart of hearts when God is speaking or when we're trying to make something happen for Him. We know. Once in a while, it might be harder to discern. But if you delight in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. And so if you're delighting in Him and He is your joy, the things that are coming into your heart to do are part of His plan. Now be careful because the enemy can lie to us, right? Even when we're seeking the Lord. We see that in scripture. And the really interesting part is, do you remember the temptation of Jesus Christ? Y'all remember that? What was used to tempt him? Scripture. Didn't the enemy quote scripture at him? And say, well, if you throw yourself down, you're not going to let anything happen. So he used scripture trying to get him to do the wrong thing. And so if it's scripturally tied, if the lie is scripturally tied, make sure you know the book. Because how did Jesus defeat that? With scripture, with truth. So the enemy quoted the scripture actually accurately, but applied it inaccurately. That happens all the time. I see that with people all the time. Well, the Bible says this. And it's completely out of context. It's not what God was saying at all. But it justifies their position. Listen to me. Don't ever try to justify your position with scripture Align your position with scripture. Align yourself with what God has said. Let that be your position and you'll never go wrong. You know, there's some things that I wish were different. But I don't change God's word because it's comfortable for me. I change myself because it's more comfortable to be in the will of God than to fight against him. We bring ourselves into subjection to God, not the other way around. If we're going to do the work of God, we've got to do it God's way, with God's word uncompromised, with God's intention for the world, not being a side thought, but being the heart of why we do. He is the heart, and His heart expressed was His Son, and He did it for them, and He did it for us. And we cannot miss that's the main thing, folks. Now, is getting people saved important? Absolutely. The good news is is we don't have to save them. That's his job. We have to share the truth. Our job is to make disciples. And that begins at salvation. We don't own any belts around here that get notched. We are one we are the with the heart of one man. We rejoice when somebody comes to salvation in Christ as one person. Because it takes all of us. It takes all of us. It takes a clean facility. It takes you know, sometimes we think if we're cleaning up or sweeping or doing those things that doesn't go a church that hasn't been swept or have or go into a nursery where the diapers hadn't been taken out in two, three weeks. And close the door. I think that stuff, that all these little things that we all do are part of the plan of God. And we do that as joy. Not because it have got to be done. But because we get to participate. We get to be a part of that. And so there comes a time when you need to act. You have to act to be about the word. So where do we begin? Well, I think he lays it out for us. We focus on unity. Don't let petty disagreements, minor doctrinal different disagreements, and personalities divide us. And don't let, don't let anger get in the way. Does that ever happen to anybody but me? Like when you get so hungry, you're like, Get away with me. I need a taco. I'm sure that's not just me. You know, we get hangry around this time, around (laughs) lunchtime. But don't, don't let that stuff get in the way. Unity matters, folks. It does. Doctrinal unity matters. Listen, Jesus is God. He's the only answer. He's the only way. He's given us the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and to lead us in all truth. He gives us gifts and we get the fruit of the Spirit when we walk in Him. That's the joy. That's the fun stuff. That stuff is unnegotiable if you go any other way, if you try to do it on your own, it don't work. Anybody ever tried to do it on their own? Thank you. Me and Dwayne and a couple in the back. I tried to do it on my own for God. God said, nice try, Mark. And I was doing it for him. And it went. That's the Hebrew word for fail. That's what happens. Because it's not about what we do for Him. It's about Him coming alive in us. You ever met somebody who goes, man, there's something different about them. And I can't put my finger on it. But Jesus put His hands and feet out for it. And so don't miss it. Don't miss out on that. And so focus on unity. Unity. We have to focus on Jesus Christ and our calling, and our calling to him and his word as we reach out, love on, and share the gospel with the world. Unity. We have to stand for the Lord without fear. Christians are being vilified and characterized as narrow-minded. They're gonna do that to you. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it's gonna hate you too. And if the world don't hate you, maybe there's a problem. (laughs) This is not new. This was foreseen by Christ when he wrote that. The world ought to hate you, not because you're rude and abrasive and offensive in the way you talk to them. It ought to hate you because you shed light, because you are the light. You shine light. On their evil deeds. Go back and read John 1 through 3. It's all in there. They don't want their evil deeds. How many of you would like to stand up and confess some sins that you have struggled with? Anybody? Do I volunteer? Come on. Don't be shy. We don't either. They don't either. But it needs to be coupled with the love of God because it's the love of God that constrains us to respond. So we must stand for the Lord without fear. We cannot bow to this kind of rhetoric. We must worship Him with all our heart and not back up, not sit down, and not shut up. Don't crawl into a hole. You're not making it better. Nobody lights. You know, I wonder if this is God telling us when He said nobody lights a lamp and puts it on, puts it under a bush. We sing that as a kid's song, right? I wonder if that's God telling us what He's doing with us. He doesn't light a lamp and put it under a bush. He puts it on a lampstand. So if you're saved, you're on a lampstand. You don't have the option to go put it under a bush. That's not have anything to do with you. That's what God does with us. That's where we are. And if the world hates us, if it rejects us, if it it fires us because of that, remember this. Your job, you didn't get it. God gave it to you and he'll give you another one because he promises to take care of you. Amen? Amen? I have known people who have gone a year or two and still tithe on their last check. Now I don't know how they made it, but God provided. How can you make it two years without any income, not miss a payment on your house, not and have food in your belly? If he can take a couple loaves and some fish and turn it into feed five thousand people, I need to start praying over your refrigerators. He can do it. And you know what? He can make, give you baskets to, to leftovers beyond. Yes. Why do we doubt God? Why do we doubt that he can deliver? Because we're feeling the pain of the moment. Mm-hmm. And the pain of the moment trumps our faith sometimes. I want to, I want to encourage you this morning to not listen to that pain because I know it's there and I know it's easy for me to say, but I face it too. And I, we're, we're going to choose to trust him without having all the answers. That's what faith is all about. We have the only answer we need, that he'll never leave nor forsake us. Mm-hmm. Everything else is, if if he can provide heaven for us, can he provide us a chicken sandwich? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And So we have to stand for him. But folks, we have to act. We have to act. As we come together in unity, we must move in our ministries, we must reach out in our activities, and we must demonstrate our behavior. The love of Jesus Christ for the world. It's time to act, folks. It's time to act. All appreh- for me, all apprehension has been removed. I don't have to I don't worry about whether it's God's will or not. I'm confident that God is telling us to act. There was a little boy. This was have you ever been to one of those churches where the pastor does a children's sermonette at the beginning of the church? Well, this was in a church and this little boy is there, he's part of this group that comes up. And the pastor is doing their teaching. And he had called the kids to come down. And he was talking about Jonah. And he quoted the scripture from Jonah, said the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Kids love that story. That one and when the donkey talked, right? Kids like that story. When the pastor finished the verse, he started trying to solicit input from the kids. And he said, what do you guys think that means? And one kid's hand went, Y'all have those children? <laughs> Pick me. And so the pastor said he called on him, and the entire congregation is sitting there. And he said, What does this teach us? And the little boy says that even a fish can't stomach a bad preacher. Anybody in here know that kid? (laughs) What does that have to do with what we're talking about? The little boy understood his moment, and he took it, and he acted. We have to understand the moment that we're in. We're called to go, folks. We're called to go. We have some opportunities coming up, and we're going to have more. We're called to invite our friends. People, y'all know people that need the Lord. Do y'all know people that are Christians that are out of church? Yes. It's time. It's funny. I didn't want to do Ezra. I argued with God over Ezra. God just sat there silently and that's not fun when you're having to deliver what he said when he ain't talking I wanted to go back to Genesis but then I kept thinking and I actually was worrying about Don because I didn't want to step on Don because he's going through Genesis but God had already worried about you Don and he said you need to go over here and there's a reason doesn't work here I hear it all I hear the stories the stories have have started to be more and more prevalent people God is stripping people down getting them to a place where they're confident only in him it's a beautiful thing folks I love doing this with you it is my joy and so to This morning, as we come together in unity, I would ask that you ask him, what is your part? Don't just sit there and go, okay, thanks for telling me. He's telling you to act. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.